Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Call, call, call the site. Call, call call you know, I was in the big house this weekend. Watched the almost watched the second coming in Appalachian State, but uh, you know, I'm glad to be back in the booth. So, I'm glad to be back in the booth. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Michigan, Michigan looks like the American of uh, of football. Greg Scalzo, TJ Hogan here, and we're now being joined by friend of show Devon Wilson of Real Sports Guys. You can follow them on Twitter at Real Sports Guys. What's up, Devon? All right, this is real. This is real sports guys, Cypher. This is your guy, yes, uh, yeah, D. Wilson. Yeah, I've been traveling all the world. That's right. I've been over not really all the world, but you know, I've been traveling. You know, I, I've been, I've been, I've been out there in paradise. Yeah, you've been following us here at, uh, at you know, Maui Invitational. You know, out there kind of rubbing elbows with with few and you know with Coach K. You know, trying to trying to lift the game up a little bit. You heard Marcus Game Changer on there. Then, you know, you know, we're doing the RSG ladies first, you know, at the volleyball game. I'm, I'm trying to see what the women, you know how we do it. We're into the equity game. We're trying to see what the ladies are bringing to the, to the, to the, to the, to the world of sports, incredible environment. Uh, we had a chance to be in the field house up in Madison watching uh, uh, the, the, the Badgers uh, play against Pepperdine. And then I shot down to Bloomington, um, you know, uh, to, to check out, uh, check out uh, Louisville against uh, – uh, the Hoosiers down there was a great, great, great experience there. And then checked out the, the women's basketball team today, played against um, Missouri State, and now I'm back in the studio. You know, this is how we're doing it. We're just trying to make it happen. And, and I got a special guest. You know, it's been crazy if you've been following me. There's an intersection between my world, uh, different points in my life. Um, and I've been fortunate um, to just have some amazing people that I've been able to experience growing up who are – I tap into. Um, so you saw me uh, interview uh, Dr. Uh, Philip Bowman, who played at Illinois, who I grew up with, who sponsored our trip uh, out to Maui, um, who's an incredible person. And uh, you know how I've connected with my, my co-host, uh, Marcus the Game Changer. But tonight I got another one. You think, you know, every time you think I'm done, I'll, I'll bring another one at you. It's just like I'm, I told you, we're like the Wu-Tang of, of sports. We just keep bringing them off the bench. And uh, I got my man, Raj Verma, uh, coming here from Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. How you doing, Raj? I'm doing great. How you doing, my man? All right. So Raj and I come from way back in the day, and, and now he's uh, been involved in sports in an incredible way um, in, the, uh, in Georgia and the Atlanta area. It's funny, we're just off air before we came on. Uh, my niece played basketball at McEachern, which is a powerhouse in women's basketball. Uh, she's now playing at IU and finds out that, that, that his kids are at a, the rival high school. He's writing, 
like it's it's one of those crazy things, and we kind of been monitoring each other's success or whatever we've been doing. But you know, he's award winning. You know, I'm just trying to get there. He always says he doesn't know how to do it. He's award winning. Um, he's uh, killing his college football stage. Uh, but Raj, I want to start out because you know when we talk about real sports guys, one of the reasons why I started this platform because like you. We grew up, we loved sports. We talked about it all the time. It was at the lunch table. It was in the hallway. It was in these spaces. And, you know, more than just kind of the surface, but we'll get deep into the analysis. And it just becomes a part of our ethos of who we are. You know, you've had a successful career in another industry, and you find yourself in sports. Kind of talk a little bit about your journey and what you're kind of doing right now. Thanks, Devon. And I, I'm absolutely humbled, man. Uh, uh, you are you are the man. So being honored, you know, there must've been enough people uh, uh, having a few sips when they voted, but I appreciate the kudos. (laughs) (laughs) So, so just like you're saying, you know, both grew up in a college town. I had an affinity for college football at a very young age. My dad had season tickets to Michigan. And then ironically enough, my senior year at Pioneer, my dad took a job in Columbus, Ohio. I ended up going to Michigan State and then ended up spending all my summer and winter breaks in Columbus and it made some real good friends who actually were very connected to the Ohio State football program. And so just through pure inertia, you're hanging out with guys who you knew, knew the Robert Smiths, the Eddie George, the Herb Streets, and you're hanging out with those guys and spent a lot of time in Columbus after I graduated from Michigan State and got tight with that program. And then ironically, I went to Florida for grad school. And sure enough, my roommate's father was the play-by-play guy for the Gators. So you get connected that way. And, you know, your first almost 35 years of existence, you're in those type of atmospheres. And I don't know, I had a passion for it, but it was like one of those things, you know, you're close, you're following it, but you don't go down that career path. I went down another career path, spent a lot of time, in corporate America and now doing some startups. But along with that, you know, working in some of the venues I do, I do some emceeing, some corporate emceeing, and about four or five years ago, uh, doing some emceeing for some of the large companies down here in Atlanta as Coke or Delta, and then I was also emceeing the SEC and Big Ten alumni functions. Sure enough, somebody said, hey, uh, you know, are you interested in doing something in college sports? And I thought I was being punked. I was looking for Ashton Kutcher. I'm like, there's no way. I mean, why me? Why now, right? <laughs> and sure, <laughs> sure enough, about five years ago, one of the local stations, 1160, 1690 AM here in Atlanta, uh, was looking to kick off a one-day-a-week one college football show uh, and just go ahead and, you know, cover the SEC, but also the national area and so I got that gig, did it. I've been doing it for about four years. Ironically, uh, when we got nominated for show of the year in Georgia, the Catholic Church out of Rome bought our station. So we went online this year. <laughs> and, <laughs> and simultaneously, wow. about, about two and a half years ago, a guy from the Peach Bowl, uh, when they're becoming one of the New Year's Day six, heard my show, asked me to come in, and they gave me a board position. So I've, I've been blessed. You know, I, I do this for fun. Uh, just like you, you know, you, you get around what you're passionate of. I always believe it, whether it's a job or a hobby, you should do what you love and time flies, you know, you get to enjoy it. So that's just a little bit about what I'm doing and, you know, how, how lucky and blessed I've been. Well, it's, it's crazy because I've always tried to explain, you know, I, most of the folks who listen know that, 
you know, my day job is in Madison, working at UW. And, but when I talk to people in Madison and elsewhere just about growing up in Ann Arbor, it doesn't matter. You know, you and I have the pioneer and just that connection. But, you know, when you're in that city, no matter who, which high school you went to, there's a connection. There's like this brotherhood, nationally a sisterhood, that you, when you connect, when you meet someone from Ann Arbor, that network is incredible. And just watching what people are doing and how they're uh, comporting themselves and their lives is important. So, you know, you and I have been trying to make this work, and I'm like, we're going to make this work. You know, and, just, um, and I'm so glad you're on our show. And I look forward to, as you launch your brand, uh, to participate and in, in, in be there uh, on, on your show. Uh, it's, I guess it's timely to have you come on with year. And when you reflect and kind of think about the college football uh, season to this point, what are some of your highlights and lowlights as you try to think about uh, this season uh, as we prepare for the bowl season? So, Devon, as, as you know, we, we both grew it up talking about this in the locker rooms and at the lunch tables, but the whole dynamic of college football, in my mind, shifted when they went to a playoff, right? It, it's not mm-hmm. the pros, yeah. but that's what's driving everything. I mean, we now focus on who is going to be in that four, so for me to start off with any other story kind of really doesn't make sense. So all year long, especially being in Atlanta, you know, what I call the college football capital of the world with, you know, just everything that goes on down here. But, you know, we focused on those four or five teams that have that ability to get there. So obviously that's the top story, you know, Alabama with Tua and how they managed Tua and Jalen through the year and then how Clemson managed their situation with Lawrence and Kelly Bryant and Kelly leaving. And then, you know, what went on with Ohio State through the year to get, you know, to be on that cusp and how Oklahoma did. I think, you know, in your neck of the woods, a surprise, a surprise is the great job that uh, Notre Dame did this year and, uh, and Coach Kelly, which was a surprise to many of us. You know, I think some of the sub stories is, you know, UCF and the group of five, will they ever get a shot? You know, and I think, with four teams, that's going to just be a tough putt until they expand to six or eight. You know, I know also in your neck of the woods, you know, being a Big Ten guy myself, there was a lot of hype coming into the season about the Big Ten East as well as Wisconsin coming out of the West. And I, I know I'm probably, uh, uh, you know, preaching to the, choir, to the congregation there, but Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Wisconsin, I don't think they achieved the goals that they had set out for early in the year. I know we can get into the details of why, but outside of Ohio State, you know, saving the, 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 the reputation of the league that last couple of weeks, and they didn't even make it in, uh, I think the Big Ten was, you know, kind of down. And then obviously, I know we're going to talk about it, but the Pac-12 is broken. They, they got yeah. a lot of yeah. stuff that they have to fix. They are slowly falling, you know, by the wayside. They're kind of where we thought the Big 12 and ACC were about four or five years ago, you know. And, you know, the other story when you go back 10 years from now to be, you know, the, uh, the coaching uh, changes. The, the, obviously, the, the, the big one, the nuclear bomb story is what's happened with Ohio State and Urban from August throughout this year and him retiring just a few days back. And then, you know, you got Les Miles and Mac Brown coming back the circuit. So those are the key stories. And, you know, this, you know, just like you, I'm excited. There's a playoff system. You know, we could probably talk about it in more detail. That should it be different? How are the right teams in there? But I think that drives every conversation. 
you know, you, you mentioned so – this, so there's a couple things I want to tease out because, you know, we've been watching football for a long time. And we're not – you know, we've seen the two-quarterback system. We've seen a lot of things. But we, we haven't seen what we've seen in uh, – particularly Clemson. I, I would say and, – and I would say Alabama to an extent, but Clemson and, and, and Notre Dame. For the most part, you had two quarterbacks who were performing. Now, were they doing exactly what you wanted to do? But you didn't. You would have never seen those kind of quarterbacks just automatically benched. You could have made a, a you know, Jalen Hurts would struggle on, you know, in certain situations in terms of passing. Obviously, what Tua did at the, in the championship game, um, you know, kind of elevated him. Uh, you could argue the way. But when you talk about, you know, Kelly Bryant and you talk about, uh, was it Winbush at, uh, in Notre Dame, and you talk about just, you know, they, he came off of beating Michigan, you know, and had some decent games. Like, decisions that these coaches are making, does that push a little bit more about um, the argument about, you know, allowing folks to transfer without sitting out? You know, because these decisions were clearly made about winning and money, away from what we said. Uh, and, you know, now these young men, they can transfer, but, you know, depending on what kind of, you know, waivers they can get, whether they can play right away, you know, or do they have to wait to be a graduate transfer? Like, there's so many different mechanisms in a way. You know, does this open the door for allowing kids to have much more freedom? Uh, that's, a, that's a very good, uh, you know, item. I mean, that is a fundamental shift in college football. It is, you know, it doesn't matter your, what the age of the player is. It's total meritocracy. You know, uh, living down here yeah. – uh, I'd heard of Trevor Lawrence years ago. He's from Cartersville, Georgia, was one of the two top quarterbacks, along with Justin Fields, who's pushing Jake Fromm yeah, of Georgia. You know, Georgia, yeah. And, you know, I think, the, you know, always the top teams have deferred to, hey, we're going to run the ball, we're going to stop the run, and we'll worry about getting a high-potent potent offense. I think along with that is the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Georgias, they're deciding, hey, forget it. You don't have to go – to a mid-market team or up-and-coming team to be on a high-octane offense. And that's what even makes it more scary because Saban and, and, and Dabo and Urban just decided, you know what, we're going to go with the most talented guy that's going to put up points because if we put up 40-50 the way our defenses are playing, you're not going to catch us. It used to be that you'd fight them in a phone booth. Now you have to fight them for space. So in that aspect, yes. I totally understand what they're doing because they do it over every position. But I think it's tough if you're Kelly Bryant if you're Winbush and you're Jalen Hurts, you know, just very candidly when you watch those three guys, they were primarily run quarterbacks with a passing ability, and you can't fault the coaching staff. I think the only thing I think the coaching staffs, all three of them, waited to see how those guys would start the season. You know, you know, once Ian Book took over, Notre Dame went, you know, took off. Now, not to say if Winbush was in there that they wouldn't be undefeated. But I went. I've seen Clemson play up close this year in Alabama as well, and what Trevor Lawrence is able to do and how they change their offense is radical. So I can't fault them, but I agree with you. You know, what do you do if you're a backup? Jalen decided to stay, and you see Jalen's story. You could not have written that story. Hollywood not could That's could right. not come up with that story. Where Tua comes in a year ago in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium to help Alabama beat Georgia. And in that exact same place, almost 330 days later, Jalen comes off in an amazing 
feat and an amazing story. You know, I'm really happy for Jalen, but it doesn't mean it takes anything away from what Kelly Bryant decided to do. You got to do what's in your best interest. Yeah, and and, 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 and I think you're you're right on. And, and you know, where I come on is is I I'm, I'm with that, and I'm saying at the same time that you got a lot of these young folks is to be able to make their own business decisions, so that somebody could do exactly what Jalen did. Said, look, hey, I, I'm going to honor my commitment, or you know, someone could say like Kelly Bryant, I can leave and allow him to play right away next year. Um, and and so uh, it's interesting. The other thing that you kind of bring it up when you talk about this focus on whether or not you get in the four or not, you now have these situations if these if these athletes don't well, these athletes don't get in, some of them are not playing in bowl games. So you know you're you're sitting there on that Peach Bowl committee. You know, you know, you're trying to get, you know, you got Michigan and you got Florida coming out. You know, they're going to have a lot of people coming in checking out, you know. But, you know, right now, uh, you know, Michigan's number one defensive player, right? He's not going to come and play. It's a marquee players, right? Or you might have, and so it's interesting how these players are now, if they're not in the championship game, making business decisions that impact the whole, you know, you know so from a, a bold someone who sits on the board, you know, how does that get factored in when you're, you're having teams come in and, you know, you think you'll be marketing a certain player that might not be there? You know, how does that all start to play out? You know, I, first and foremost, I'll put my, my, you know, not my peaceful hat up, but, you know, I'm looking at it from a standpoint, I agree <laughs> with them. That's their business yeah. decision. That's their livelihood, right? That's right. I think you, you and I both remember – great players that because college football is restrictive and has to force them to stay for three years after they graduate high school, which I I really want to get away from that rule because it builds a farm system for the NFL. There's some players that could have gone after freshman or sophomore year. So these guys are putting their livelihood, even if they get an insurance policy at risk, and I don't fault them one iota. Same thing, if I'm putting my board hat on, we're bringing the front of the jersey versus the back of the jersey. So Michigan will have enough players, you know, whether Rashawn Gary and Devin Bush and Lavert Hill, if they sit out, that's in their best interest to sit out. It's still Michigan has 80 other players that are going to play. You know, I know at uh, West Virginia, Will Greer's deciding to sit out. I can't fault him. You know, that that's the right decision. You know, they're going to sit down with their family. You know, Christian McCaffrey was the first person to start this a few years ago, and you can't fault these kids yeah. if they're playing because remember what happened to the player, I think it was Jake Butt, who got hurt, right? That's he right. was the one, you know, I think at the – and it's too big of a risk. You know, it's it's – so yeah. I can't fault these kids. It may, you know, things may change down the stretch. I think the, the tipping point is if kids who are starting to go play in the playoffs start sitting off, then the whole uh, process will have to shift. Yeah, and that will be interesting. It depends on how this player's right discussion begins to go. Um, you know, who knows? You might see, uh, you know, a player two someday um, decide to sit out one of these critical games, and then we'll really see what's going on. Uh, so exactly. the question I'm gonna ask you, because you right, you were in the hotbed, you were down there in Georgia where it was going down to the SEC championship, and did the committee get it right with the Final Four? Did the com- you know what? Here's the question you have to ask yourself: the broader question. And I've heard mm. the last couple of years the committees are saying it's the four best teams. Or is it the mm. four most deserving? And I think it's a different discussion because. You know, and I, I'm going to try to tailor this and, and try to not be uh, show 
any preference on you know what I've seen, but <laughs> what I what what I did see in that game was a team that back to back years went toe to toe with Bama. Other than Clemson and Ohio State in the last ten years, nobody's done that. And they, if you here's a stat for you, Devon. Over the last two years, in 290 plays between Georgia and Alabama, Alabama only led for nine plays. That team controlled the line of scrimmage, both defensively and offensively. Roster-wise, NFL, upside-wise, is that a top-four roster? Without a shadow of a doubt, it is. But the reality is, Georgia lost by 20 points at an LSU team, which is, you know, better than average. On the, you know, in Oklahoma yeah. and Ohio State won their conferences with one loss. Now, the reality is, the Big Ten and and the Big 12 are not the same level as the SEC this year. They may be in the future. They may have been in the past, but they aren't. So, But they're not going to penalize Oklahoma and Ohio State for having one loss. So then it becomes a question of which team. Oklahoma has put up historic numbers offensively. I think they average probably about 60 to 70 more yards a game than Ohio State. And then on the defensive side, Ohio State, you know, was a little bit more stout. Oklahoma, you know what you're getting. And the difference was that Big 12 game. They played their rival and, you know, shut them down defensively as best they could. And I think in that vein, if you knew coming in, it was going to be Oklahoma. Ohio State had to put up 60 to 70 points on Northwestern to, you know, equal that conversation. So, you know, until you go to six teams, we're always going to have this debate. I don't think the discussion is the four best rosters. I think it's like, who are the four best teams with similar records? And I think that way you had to give it to Oklahoma. But if you ask me offline, the, the, the team that caused the issue is Notre Dame. Notre Dame going undefeated, not being a conference affiliate, you know, could, they wouldn't be favored over Ohio State, Georgia, or Oklahoma on a neutral field. They just wouldn't be. So they're the, they're, they're the, they're the insect in the ointment, my friend. Yeah, I understand. Listen to RSG, the cypher. I'm on with my man, Raj Verma. This, he's killing it, man. He's doing it the RSG way, coming right at your head, at your dome. And uh, this is what we love to talk about. You know, we're talking college football in this segment, uh, and uh, we're getting some details. One of the things in the future you and I are going to talk about, I want to really take a different look at the SEC because it's funny how they brand their excellence when it's really tied to, like, three coaches. Like, it's Saban at two different institutions, it's Urban Meyer, and people argue Georgia, but Georgia, when the last time they won the big game, in fact, Boise State came down with Peterson and blew them out of Georgia. Like, he ran them out of their own. And so I have a, I have an argument about the SEC that we have to talk about. The SEC East has been garbage. And Vanderbilt, can you, Kentucky, can y'all come? So I think I, – I, you. Alabama's Alabama anywhere you put them. LSU, LSU anywhere. But I, I have an argument. So at some point, I would love to be able to unpack that. Um, and a, a couple of years ago, I did an analysis um, where actually the Big Ten had a winning record. Most of those teams had a winning record against SEC teams. The one team that had a losing record was Ohio State. And because it was so visible, I think it added to the brand. So it, it, it's interesting when we have these conversations. I love to be able to break that down with you. If someone – who, who understands these other conferences, but you're right in the heart of the SEC country. So basically, we, we, you got to come back for that stuff. You, you, you got to come back. I've been breaking that one down for a while. Every time I hear it, you know, I'm about to get on fine ball, so he ain't going to like it. 
but so tell me the last you time I'm scared of Vanderbilt. Huh? <laughs> are you, you, are you asking me to answer that question? Are you No, I mean, I, so I, I, I can answer it at top level. We can break it down later. But, yeah, you know, no, but I think top level. I'm, I'm going to give it to you. I, and we didn't put this in the rundown. I want to be fair. So I, I just wanted to put it out there. I've always looked at it. So explain so let me, to me. Let me answer your the question answer. this way. Let me, let, me, let me answer this question, question this way. So I understand the frustration around the rest of the country and the SEC fatigue. I truly do. So the first question that I post on the table is the SEC, the best conference. You know, I know they have the best team and they're heavy at the top level. Are they what they were from 2006 to maybe 2012, 13? No, they're not. I'll be the first one to admit that. They took a little bit of a dip because of the level to your point, the coaching and the offensive coordinators, as well as the quarterback play kind of dipped. They took a couple year uh, hiatus and there's no doubt that when, LSU, Florida, and, you know, Mark Richt and Bama was starting, and even with Auburn, all those teams. I think it starts with anything else in sports, any sports. You take a look at baseball. Why are the Yankees and Red Sox and those teams in Atlanta? It has to start with passion. The teams who have the alumni and the coaching staffs, they want to win at such a high level that if it's not national championship or bust, so there's more teams in this league that have that mindset, having spent – 25, 30 years in the Big Ten arena, I could say with a shadow of a doubt, the only culture that way is Ohio State. Penn State, Michigan, maybe in Michigan State and Wisconsin, a level below. You can win 10 games a year at Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin for five years, and you're going to keep your job. You can't do that at certain schools down here. Secondly, fair or unfair, there's a high degree of high school football that's played in Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, and in the past, back in the uh, 80s and early 90s, when Florida State and Miami were tearing it up, those players were spread out throughout the country, and Notre Dame also. If you remember, Notre Dame was on fire. So those kids were going everywhere. Once Miami and Florida State kind of hit the wall going into 2000 and Notre Dame fell off, those top-end kids out of Florida – stayed in the SEC. Those top-end kids that would normally go to other schools stayed in the SEC. And if you take a look at the rosters, I could be off by a couple numbers here and there, there's 340 players on opening day in the NFL from SEC states, 230 from the Big Ten. So there is a little bit of drop-off. So if those kids decide to stay in the state, you know, there's more high-end talent, but does that make them better teams? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. I'm just saying that I know for a period – from like the mid-2000s till the early 2012, I've watched every SEC championship game. I've been to Big Ten championship games. I've seen the level of play, and I think the big difference is in the front seven. The level of athleticism at that defensive line position is second to none, and I know we'll talk about the Pac-12, but that's where the Pac-12 falls apart. But I can understand the mm-hmm. frustration because there's a lot of gravy training because Alabama wins. Everybody go, yeah, we're, we're the SEC. Hey, hey, Ole Miss, you're not there. Kentucky, you're not there. Missouri, you're not there. Vanderbilt, you're not there. South Carolina, Spurrier, you're not there. Mississippi State's not there. Arkansas. So I can understand the frustration. But, uh, you know, you, at the end of the day, you got to do it in the field. The only team in the north that's won a national that's, title. That's my, and, that's, and that's usually my point. My point is, I know what Bielema was at Wisconsin. He was running SEC teams every time he played them in the bowl game. 
It was like they were running them every time they played them. If you look at the bowl record, I believe, they were running them every time, even in that era. They were running them. That's why I said top end because they were playing head-to-head games, and they were running them. That was my, my whole thing. And the other thing that Bielema told me, particularly when he was at, he was at Wisconsin, they put as many kids on, on, on NFL rosters as Alabama. If you can see it all through the uh, – so it's one of these things that it, you can watch it. On, day, on starting day, that Wisconsin has many people on NFL rosters at Alabama. If you, look at, if you look at linebacker, every linebacker who's ever played the last five years at Wisconsin, either starting or being a reserve on the NFL level. It's, it's true. So it's one of those things where I don't know if the Big Ten markets it or not. It's an interesting dynamic. So I'm like, that's what I said I'm going to get to. Because I was like, in, in a sense that when you start to contextualize it and look at the head-to-head play, I got to look at it again. Maybe next time you and I get on it, so you know, I, other I, than I those championship bowl games. How, yeah. I won't argue with you about that's, Wisconsin, but I know that this year the top three teams represented going into opening day were Alabama, LSU, and Florida with the most players in the, uh, on the 53-man roster, followed by Ohio State and, I think, Miami and Florida State. So I'm not saying when Bielma was there, yeah. but, you yeah. know, here's the, here's the reality, Devon. I think we've been both agree. You know, if you're familiar with Tidewater area of recruiting over in Virginia, you're familiar with Charlotte, uh, Metro Charlotte, yeah. Atlanta's blowing it up, Dade, Broward, Tampa, yeah. Louisiana. You know, I'm really familiar with high school football in the Midwest, and yeah. because of the economy and what's happened with the automakers, the steel makers, coal, you yeah, what all Pennsylvania moving. used to be yeah, what Pennsylvania used to be thirty years ago, it's not that same thing. And even high school basketball, when you and I grew up in Michigan, the state of Michigan could take on almost anybody, but that's not where it used to be. Outside of Ohio Yeah. Yeah. Outside of Ohio, yeah. there is not a high degree of high school football. And the kids from the South, not many of them, you know, like when Anthony Carter came to Michigan or Lorenzo White came to Michigan State or, you know, those kids who come up to play up north, that's just not happening as much. But we could debate that. Oh, I love this, man. I love it. That's that's why it's so hardball. And you can't be doing them camps down here, man. (laughs) You can't be doing them little camps down here. Harbaugh's a separate conversation altogether. Oh, so we, we my goodness. Want, we want to get in there. We, we, we're probably going to hit it later on this one. Man, I love it. You got me going. I love this stuff. Man, this is why I love it. I love it. So let's talk about the Pac-12. I listened to your latest SoundCloud. You had done. I, I, I pulled something on SoundCloud, and you broke the Pac-12 thing. Y'all broke the Pac-12 thing down. I said, I got to talk about the Pac-12. Because I, you, got, you got some theories on the Pac-12 that I just, you need to share with folks. More and more. You just spread so, I love the way you broke it down. So where the Pac-12 is going, and I think this is a, a difficult situation, when they brought in, uh, you know, the new uh, uh, commissioner, uh, Scott, from USTA, he was supposed to revolutionize it. He had some great ideas. I remember one time he's going to have all his sports teams play against the Big Ten and that weekend with Delaney. And, but where the league is right now, there's some obvious things that stick out. Once USC got going with Pete Carroll and they took a dip, um, Oregon, you know, Chip Kelly and then Halfitch, it sticked up to about 2013. But there's not a bellwether. Washington was supposed to be that bellwether the last couple of years. You know, they got smacked around with Alabama in the, in the playoffs, and then they lost to Penn State, 
and then they lost to Auburn. So just that perception. And then you throw in the fact that Oregon now is going through their fourth coaching change in many years. USC, you know, won the Rose Bowl. They won the Pac-12. But they've also gone through a number of coaching changes, and I think Clay Helton is on very thin ice. But if you really take a look at what's going on with the Pac-12, I think the challenge is twofold. They're not physical at the point of attack. They're defensive linemen, they're linebackers, they're undersized, they don't have as many big DTs, DEs. When I saw Washington State play, Washington play, and even uh, you know went to, out to Arizona State this year, they're, they're quick, but at the point of attack, they just don't have that athleticism and physicality. Mm. So if you saw what Ohio State did to a few of their teams the last couple of years, and even Penn State, all they did was put you know press coverage and they run, run their defensive linemen on stunts and blitzes, and it was over. So I think that's what's hurting mm. them from a competitive standpoint. And then the next thing from a visibility standpoint, I don't know who came up with this idea of after dark, right? I, I feel bad for mm. them. I know they're on the West Coast. But you have to appeal to the East Coast and Midwest viewer. You can't have games on at 11 o'clock at night on Friday and Saturday. I mean, I want to stay yeah. up, but even I'm passing out by the third quarter. So your marquee guys, if you know you got uh, Minshew or in the past Mariota, but I think – by, for perfect example is McCaffrey. He was the best player in the country. He should have won the Heisman over Derrick Henry. But the sheer fact they had so many late games, he did not get that visibility, and that hurts their branding. And that's purely on the, the commissioner. And I know that they're also located in San Francisco, which costs more money per square foot than any other place. I mean, I don't know what they're thinking. So mm. they have to figure a way to change their brand you know, they come out and say, we are the Conference of Champions. That's great. Okay. How many people are turning up and watching non-revenue sports? You know, I know that we, you and I want to have an egalitarian mm-hmm. type of mindset, but the reality is yeah. even they don't show up. I mean, their Pac-12 game was played in Santa Clara, and no, that game's got to be played at Washington or a game's got to be played at Utah. They should totally get rid, even maybe even get rid of a Pac-12 championship game. I don't know the purpose it serves. Do a round robin. Whoever wins the league wins the league. Because if people aren't showing up, your brand's being hurt. So, I mean, there's a lot of things the Pac-12 has to fix, and they have to fix it fast. Mm. Because when TV contracts are up right now, they if you take a look, if I'm going to give Delaney credit, they have the best TV package. You know, partner with Fox and the Big Ten Network. They yeah. have a deal with ESPN. I think they're going to cut a 45 to $50 million check in May. The mm. SEC is second. Then there's a big drop to the ACC and then Big 12, and the Pac-12 is languishing. If you don't have money, the schools don't have money, they can't keep up from a silly standpoint, the recruiting standpoint, but I think that can all change. (laughs) And that kind of gives my segue. If USC's job is open this time next year, my friend, there's a guy in Columbus who could be taking that job and basically bringing USC and the Pac-12 back to the forefront. (laughs) Oh, no, you heard it here. Look at you dropping gems on me. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and, and I want to get your opinion on this. The other thing, particularly Pac-12, because when you look at a lot of those institutions like UCLA, Stanford, like they have like 30-something intercollegiate act, uh, 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 sports. You know, you look at most SEC teams, they like 12. So they do the minimum which allows for them to really position their resources and their energy. You know, the Big Ten, I think, is probably the model league because 
you know, they put competitive stuff out there. They're still like Ohio State. Ohio State like has like 32 intercollegiate athletic sports. Like the fact that their football team and their basketball team and some of these programs are doing what they're doing. I mean, they got bowling. I mean, they they doing something over there in terms of providing a comprehensive athletic experience. I, the Pac-12 has always been that kind of place. You know, are there some other things they need to do? And I know they won't do it because, I mean, they've always been invested in providing a comprehensive experience, but is that part of it as well? Oh, most definitely. And I think I came to the first thing that we started talking about, the SEC. The SEC, if you took a poll at every SEC school, and even basketball is not – I mean, baseball is bigger than a number of these schools, and they have a lot of other Olympic sports like University of Florida and Georgia do well at the Olympic sports that are outdoors. But, hey, that's the mission and direction of the school. I mean, if the school's athletic director, the president – and their key alumni and their boosters are all on the same page, who is anybody who is outside of that state to tell them what to do? If Alabama yeah. or Louisiana State University decides, hey, we're going to have football, we're going to have baseball, we'll have basketball, we'll have five or, you know, they're going to follow Title IX guidelines, of course, they're going to have to have the same number of scholarships, but nobody is telling them that they got to do it. Now, the Pac-12 you know, that's a big deal for them. That's a big deal for UCLA, Stanford, Cal, and USC historically to have those Olympic sports, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there is no doubt. That's what I said. The SEC, and you just nailed it. If you go and ask the question on Pac-12 campuses, how big is this sport to you? How important is it to win every game? My feeling has always been USC is number one. There's a big drop. Oregon's two. Stanford likes what they're doing. Then Washington is there. Then the other schools, they go eight and eight and four every year. They'll be fine with it. For whatever That's reason, right. in the SEC, in the SEC, South Carolina is six 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 team, but they fire coaches like they need to be eight and four. Same thing with Mississippi and Mississippi State. So it's kind of like the Yankees mentality. You have mm. college football is closely related to pro baseball, where it is dictated by the passion. Like in each one of the southern states, their AD, their presidents have. They're tied in with the governors. I mean, everybody wants to win in those states. And to give you a little bit more history, right, the pro sports have been around up north forever. The first pro football team south of the Mason-Dixon line was in the Dolphins in 1960, and the Falcons came in the late in 1970. Basketball didn't come till later. So you had college football as the number one sport for 70 to 80 years already. Mm. They had a foundation built, and it's so important each one of these communities i you know pac-12 if you're living in the bay area there's a million other things to do if you're living in southern california a million other things to do so you're competing against other interests you're never going to have that passion level the only thing that can go against that is if you bring in a great coach you can recruit so i think it's, it's just a different mindset wow you listen to hey i'm loving this you listen to rsd the cypher my man Raj is breaking it down, coming out to coming to us from Atlanta. You know, covers college football, but as you can hear, is versed in a lot of other sports. You know, you know, we're gonna have him come back as a guest, tell us a whole bunch of stuff. We're getting we're getting gems here tonight, y'all. This is this is what this is why I want to start this because I, I love this conversation we have. And so you regular listeners know we might have to go after hours. You know, you listen to live. If it drop off, you have to come back and listen again to catch this if we go in the after hours. So, we're going to cover this stuff. I waited too long to get my guy on, 
and I got him here, so we're going to cover this stuff. He, he's on fire right now, and I'm loving it. So we're going to move into, because you mentioned Urban. You mentioned Urban, and you know how I feel. Uh, well, you know, it's how I don't know how I feel. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, the Buckeyes, it's tough. Yeah, some of my best friends in education work at Ohio State. A lot of good people. You know, when it comes to young people and students, we always say, but on Saturday, you know, that, like he said, the rival, <laughs> that team down south. But he left. And so the, the question is, do you believe he tapped out, you know, because of the physical stuff, or was it the planned retirement? You, you mentioned that it could be a possibility he might lie low and maybe he, he ends up at SC. I think that might have been what you might have been implying. What, what what are you hearing about what's happening with Urban, given some of the sides you might have that area? <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm going to be very sensitive to share what at least everybody's aware of, and then rest yeah. might be conjecture. But, you know, I had a chance to meet Urban when, because I was, you know, supporting University of Florida. That's where I went to grad school. And followed his yeah. career since Bowling Green. And even prior to that, he was at Notre Dame and Ohio State on their staffs as graduate assistants way back in the day. So Urban has been thought of highly as an innovator and an unbelievable coach. I don't think anybody could take anything away in the modern era. He might be the second greatest coach of all time. Now, what has happened off the field, some of those things are controllable, some of them are not. Some of the decisions Urban and the ADs and his other coaching staffs have made have reflected poorly on him. I mean, all the way to, you know, the latest thing that happened with Zach Smith and Courtney at Ohio State. And I know that it's been killed ad nauseum. Everybody's covered it. You know, uh, our peer Brett McMurphy broke the story. You know, it's – so I won't get into the details, but suffice to say, I think a lot of us were surprised that he kept his job in August because Ohio State is a highly That's reputable right. university. And uh, what went on, and at the very least, keeping somebody on if you knew – or at the very worst, it, you trying to act as a counselor, which isn't your role. So I think a lot of people are surprised. So I don't think, you know, talking to a lot of Buckeyes, I'm very close to that football program uh, over the years, they were not surprised. You know, talking, you know, hearing Herbie, hearing Robert Smith, hearing Eddie George, they all said it. You know, they just a matter of time. I think the combination, I think he does have a legitimate health issue with the cyst on the brain. And the stress itself is coming from a lot of different areas. I quite honestly think he realizes the roster he's put together and he realizes what he's capable of doing. But I'm sure that everything that happened off the field and how he was addressed, you know, it, it, it ate him up. And, you know, he might have thought that he was walking into those press conferences and he handled it correctly. Big Ten Media Days was a poor showing. And then that that conference in in August at Ohio State with President Drake was a, just a disaster. So you throw all those things in the mix. I think he's going to take time off. He's going to recharge. I think his family wants him to stay retired. But let's say that we're 18 months from now and he's recharging, he wants to get in. It's very tough for someone like Urban who has been at the top of his craft. We're not even talking about somebody who's just, you know, hey, being good, but maybe an all-time great. What will he do? Now the question becomes where could he even go? That's a separate conversation. I only think that there's two college jobs that would even be remotely attractive, and if they opened up, he would potentially think about it. But I have to imagine that at probably 75 to 80%, he'll be back in it somewhere within a couple of years. Mm. 
And then uh, our man in our own backyard, Harbaugh, you know, do you think he can turn this thing around? What, do you, what, what is your assessment of Harbaugh? Oh, so our man. So I, so I think we could say that, you know, him going to Pioneer and the Harbaugh is going to Pioneer. I think that's as close. But for your listening audience, I, I, I am a Spartan, so I have to, you know, I know. first and foremost. So I think the question becomes, and this is where, you know, Michigan fans got to look at it from what lens are they looking at it? You know, Harbaugh winning 10 games is actually even exceeding their historical average. Historical average is about 75 to 80%. Bo, you know, beat Woody five out of 10 or five, four, and one out of that 10 year span. And he won two more games against Ohio State over that 21 year span. Um, and, but he never won a national title. Lloyd won one, but Lloyd averaged about eight to nine wins during the stretch. So I guess the question is do Michigan fans want Harbaugh to do something historically that Michigan hasn't done since the days of Chrysler and Yost? I'm just being very candid, right? At a national mm-hmm. level, compete for national titles. If the question is, hey, we want to beat Ohio State on a regular basis, that's the second question. Now, I think we all know that he was brought in at $7 million and that hefty sign-on bonus to beat Ohio State, to play for a national title, and he has not achieved that. So from that vantage point, I think Michigan fans have a right to be upset, but I don't know where you go. He has done a solid job. You know, as I see it as an outsider being out of Ann Arbor now since 1985, he is a good coach at a good program. He is not an elite coach at an elite program. So that's where the disconnect comes in. And I know it really frustrates Michigan fans and probably you and others who want to hear me say something different. My issue now, if I break down the X's and O's, he's trying to run a pro set offense with multiple tight ends, multiple fullbacks in an age where the game has changed. We talked about it in the beginning. Urban, Dabo, you know, um, and Saban, even those guys that were married to the run have gone to a wide-over space game. And if they're getting five-star athletes that can run that offense, I don't know how you can compete at that level running an offense that he ran at University of San Diego or Stanford, maybe even San Francisco, and is kind of rigid, kind of slow developing, in between the tackles, not in space, I just don't know how you can be successful. What he does by doing that, he's going to be in more battles against Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and any one of those years, those guys can bite him. I see Michigan, and and once again, the fans may not agree, at that level. They're at the Michigan State, Wisconsin, Penn State level. They're not at Ohio. Ohio State has recruited at such a high level for 10 years, you know, and they have Bama, Clemson talent. And they're playing an aggressive offense with an aggressive defense. So the outcome didn't truly shock me. What shocked me all year was that Ohio State was not even playing close to their level. When I look at Michigan, you know, I take a look at some of the players that will play at the next level. But offensively, I I look at a team that I think is 10 years behind where the rest of the country's gone. And that's very candid. Can Harbaugh turn it around and get Michigan to the playoffs? Sure, I think he's a good enough coach, but I'm not about here to wax poetry and say that, oh, my God, he's going to do something that Michigan is destined to do, you know. And I know that hurts you hearing that from me, but, I mean, the last time I remember Michigan being an elite football team on year in, year out, where I really think they could have won a national title, was the last couple years of Bo from 85 to 92 when Moeller came in. They had NFL talent everywhere, you know, with Tyrone Wheatley, Ricky Powers, Derek Alexander, Desmond Howard, 
all those great teams, great offensive lines, they could stop it, but they couldn't get over the hump on Miami or Florida State or Notre Dame. But those teams were closely talented and used to take care of Ohio State. I don't know if these teams are. That's just my two cents. Yeah, but what I, what I think they're good is on defense side of the ball, I think they're elite. I think their scheme is wrong. So I, I think you're looking at the wrong side of the ball. I think the reason why I lost Ohio okay. State is because they have a court, they have a coordinator who is like the uh, Phil Mickelson of college football. All you need to do is hit it short and 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 and, and, and lay up. You win the green jacket. And I've watched Ohio State a lot. Urban Meyer coaches like uh, somebody plays basketball. He looks for matchups. And they run you – can, you can see the patterns around. That's why Clemson ran them out the gym or ran them out the field. And I think when, when, they went, when Michigan went in, as soon as they went in and played that man-to-man, I said, you're done. Because – Oh, yeah. I, I, back, I, I, have back turn, I agree with you. They, they had it back. So, so part of it is there. But on the offensive side of the ball, I think Harbaugh showed he could innovate. First of all, out of all, if you look at coaches and rank them on their ability to coach at both levels, at elite level. Harbaugh might be the only one. Saban already proved he couldn't do it at both levels. Harbaugh went to a Super Bowl, and he did it. He did it innovating. He didn't do it the way we talked about it. He did it innovating, and he showed early in the season that he was willing to innovate. He changed the offense after the first couple of weeks, so I think he can do that. And I'm not just defending, but I'm saying people frame him like he's a good coach, but he went to a Super Bowl, you know. And not many of these college coaches can coach on both levels, and so. Well, when you evaluate him there, but I, I, I agree with you on the approach, but I think the approach was because he didn't have the quarterback. I think the offense he ran was because some other quarterbacks he brought in, I watched him up close and personal, could not get you out of anything. Like, he's just now <laughs> getting quarterbacks who can actually play. Like, Dylan McCaffrey can play. You know, the kid he got from Florida can play. Like, he's just now got that pipeline of quarterback that can actually do what he wants him to do. But I'm with you on the, on the play calling because in the Notre Dame game, when they didn't go for it on fourth and one, or they ran the ball on fourth and run, that was a 1980 call. You know, when you, you brought this quarterback in and you didn't put it in his hand to get that, like, early in the game, if they had a fourth and one or so on Notre Dame's side. And I'm like, this is to tell me whether they're here to win or they're here not to lose. And when they ran the ball right up the middle, that's it. That, I, I can hear what you're saying. I'm right on it. But that was not the offense they ran three weeks later. So I do think is you know, part of it is I think he's going to get the level of talent. He's going to have to have a defensive player. If you look at Saban, Saban has elite talent, but he still schemes, <laughs> right? And, and he just is not going to line up. He's going to scheme to whoever he's playing. And I think he's going to have to have a combination of having a coordinator who can scheme that great talent, not just line up in zero coverage and think you're going to man all over the field on everybody. And you're no, going to have I, an offense that's open up a little bit. So I agree with you on that. But I think he's not that – I don't think he is as far away as people think. And I, I don't think he's oh, as I, conservative I, 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 as people might think. So, But I agree with your I, overall I assessment hear, of Michigan football. I'm not going to argue I, with that. I agree with your overall assessment of Michigan football. I said, everybody talks about Bo, but I was like, man, I watched Bo lose a lot of Rose Bowl. You know, I watched Bo lose some big games. You know what I'm saying? So, I am, you, 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 you got me at go. But, as I said, I also watched 6-6 six six saving at, 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 uh, at, uh, at MSU. I watched 8-4 saving at MSU. So, you know, 
a lot of his situation, a lot of his resources, I also watch Saving Struggle at, at, at Miami. So, I, you know, sometimes you're in the right place at the right time, and you can get something happening. But I, I'm looking at everybody in their total context. You know, and, and Urban, in his total context, has been successful at multiple places. So I, I know he's great. But I think the way people are laying out Harbaugh, I think he has an opportunity. But he's got to make some tough decisions about his coaching, about his coaching staff, about his system. All those things are there. But your overall assessment of Michigan football, I think, was right on. I am not going to leave and deny on that one. I am not there. But I always tell state fans, I tell, I tell state fans, Y'all way below mediocrity too, so I only want to hear it. Like you had some, you had some good years there, but you had a lot of six and six, a lot of whatever. So I've always got to throw that shout out to my state fans. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I won't. I, I know we're taking a shot at Don Brown now. Hey, you know, at the end of the day, um, the, that's on Don Brown, and that's on you know Jim's got to adjust and playing uh, playing your third and fourth corner on those mesh routes and crossing routes. I mean, it, it was a disaster. I mean, I, I've watched that game a few times. Um, you know, you yeah. watch Paris Campbell, K.J. Hill, and Olave, and when they were coming out and they're in the slot, you know, I, once um, Watson or somebody else was on him, and these guys are, you know, if you, you were throwing Michigan State in the thing, Michigan State was hitting those guys when they're coming off the line so they couldn't rub that right. mesh route or or the, the cross route, and that's something he's got to adjust. He is so in love with the you know coming after the quarterback and blitzing. You can't put your eggs in that. And then on that one play, yeah. I think the third or fourth touchdown where they did go to zone, somebody blew it. But you know, yeah, could he adjust? Of course. Now this is where we'll probably disagree. Um, I am not a I don't get blown away what somebody did in pro football coming to college football. To me, they're two different games. You know, there's been plenty of people that have been successful in both. Kudos to him and what he did at San Francisco. That does not mean that you're going to be successful in college. That means that at that time, with your general manager, with the players you had, you were able to go to the NFC Championship game three times, and he did a great job. Credit to him there. And credit to what he did and starting in Stanford and getting him around. But, I, you know, what I'm saying right now, I, at the end of the day, I can only measure the data points. You know, has not beat Notre Dame, 2-2 two two at Michigan State. One and two in bowl games, zero and four against Ohio State. Oh, yeah. That's not what he's brought in. So next year yeah, will be a telling no. thing. You know, he's got to he's got to win ten, eleven games. Um, I don't know if Patterson's the answer because, quite honestly, yeah. Patterson looks like somebody's not comfortable in the pocket. McCaffrey does. He likes to roll out. Michigan. When I watch Michigan play, they're getting the ball to guys that are stationary, whether it's Nico Collins or Donovan Peoples-Jones. I don't think yeah. they use those guys correctly. And it is my bias. I'm not a big fan of the old six foot five tight end. You know, that was used by Stanford. Michigan doesn't have to use that. Fullback, that many carries, anything to You know, and I don't think they have a breakaway uh, tailback on the roster. Now, that's maybe the they'll have somebody that's, that's – the... You just hit the issue I was about to say. They don't have a breakaway tailback. They don't have anybody who goes to the house. And if you're not afraid of yeah, that, that's... none of the other things you said matter. <laughs> like, who, are you afraid of the running back? No, and I can I'm say I, what I just said about what I just said about Michigan. I'd say about I rip on Dan, I, just like Valenti, who lives up there in Detroit. Michigan State yep. blew a national championship defense by playing junior high football on offense. Granted, they, Michigan yeah. State fans can complain about all the injuries. That's part of the game. 
But and I give yep. Car, I give D'Antonio credit for dealing with all the attrition that happened in 2015 and 16 and building a great defense. They you know they did a great job. But there's no excuse the way they're developing that offensive line. They have no running backs that can take it to the house. The the wide receivers were never really in space, and the quarterbacking play was abysmal. And that's starts with their two coordinators. So I think Michigan and Michigan State have to look in the mirror in the offseason and figure out what they're going to both be doing offensively. Defensively, they're both top ten defenses. Nobody can argue that. D'Antonio's going to have that every year, and it looks like Michigan's going to have that every year. But if you can't yeah. bring it offensively, then every week is going to be a struggle, you know? Man, you're killing it. You're killing it. I'm so glad <laughs> to have you on. Oh, man. you you. I'm glad this is how we're coming back together because you are just bringing it for me. So hey, we're gonna, we we we're, we're in the after hours. Folks are gonna be listening to this. You know, you know, you know these teams. Prediction on the semifinals and finals. Who you, who you got? Well, I know you're gonna tell me. God, I'm going with chalk. But I'll break down both games. Uh, let's start with Clemson Notre Dame. I, I think you know I credit everything Notre Dame did. Uh, I think this team is more complete than the 2012 team. I really liked the defensive line when I saw them play against Michigan at the very beginning. I thought they were pretty athletic in space, and I know they rotated a lot of guys. I like Dester Williams. He could take it to the house. Talking about somebody who could take it to the house. And Ian Book is solid. Mm-hmm. But that Clemson front four is four NFL defensive linemen. Don't kid, I mean, that Dabo has done an unbelievable job. And in, and in college football, it starts and ends there. They're going to control that line of scrimmage. They're going to force Ian Book in uncomfortable situations, and it's going to be very tough. Notre Dame is going to break a couple because Clemson will give up a couple big plays. But, you know, Clemson just has too many players, too many athletes, and I like Clemson by 10 to 14 points in that game. Uh, switching to the other mm. game, Oklahoma and Alabama. Oh, boy. I think uh, Tua got some incentive by Kyler Murray winning the Heisman, I tell you. That's right. So That's right. You know, Oklahoma will be able to put up points. They showed last year that they were able to put up points on Georgia for about two and a half quarters. They'll be able to put up 30-some points. But I don't know how on earth they're going to stop Bama. I just don't have – that's why when you asked me the first question, you know, Georgia and Ohio State would be a better matchup for Bama than – and Bama would not want either one of those teams because of their defensive front sevens, right? They're very athletic, Mm -hmm. very big, very physical – but there's just no way. So, you know, that's a – now, can they get a backdoor cover? I think the spread is around 14.5 points, and that sounds about right to me. So, I like Bama. I don't see Bama really getting pushed. You know, it's going to be a high-octane game. And then that brings us to Bama and Clemson. You know, go I, – and I might change my pick when we get there at the end of the year, but I'm concerned about Tua's foot. I really am. Yeah. If Tua's not healthy, Clemson's going to win the national title. But I have to imagine with his boot, they're going to get there the way they played. I think he's got one more experience. I think Trevor Lawrence, I think that moment by being a true freshman, I think I'm not as blown away with the back four of Clemson. I've watched them give up big plays. Um, The corners can be taken in space, and I think with Judy and the rest of those wide receivers, uh, it's going to be a little bit tougher for Clemson to get stops. I think Bama can get a few stops on Clemson uh, that they'll be able to pull it out. You know, it's like, it sounds like about a three or seven game, uh, but Bama is going to win the national title. But if that's depending on Tua's health, if Tua's dinged up, then I'll switch to, you know, as we get closer to game time, that'll be an easy pick then. 
Yeah, I, I'll give you another chance. I'm just trying to give you, you know, we, we'll give you a chance to kind of go. Ahead. You know, as we get close, I, I'll give you a chance to come back and switch it up and, and do what you need to do. First of all, I'm so you know, I'm so glad that you you came on, man. You just brought so much uh, to the show tonight, and um, man, I'm so proud of you and everything you accomplished. I look forward to, you know, having uh, having us work together on something as we move forward. I know that you're going to be you're, you're developing your your new platform so people can find you. But is there a place where in between folks can catch up with you if they want to catch up with you and find you as you start to roll it out? I'm definitely going to have you back when you you want to do a full rollout. But you know, is there is there a place where folks can catch you if they want to uh, follow you, engage you in you know sports talk? Yeah, you know, quite honestly, uh, uh, we're we're revamping our entire social media platforms in the next couple months but you know if somebody wants we'll probably do a couple more shows you can catch up on soundcloud uh, saturday is meant for tailgating or you can catch up with southern college football frenzy on facebook or you can look up raj verma on facebook you can hit me any of those three ways uh hey the pleasure has been all mine devon i'm so proud of everything you've accomplished both in your professional life and your personal life and everything you're doing here uh you've done a fantastic job and uh it's been a totally a enjoyment and pleasure being on with you. And I've been following you through the years and uh, just kudos to everything you've done, my man. Well, Hey man, like, like all guests, you get a chance to drop the mic, say your name or whatever you want to say. Then you say, you drop the mic. We let all our guests say whatever they want to say. And then they just say, they drop the mic and that's how we close the show out. Saying that we're moving into the holiday season I can say two things to all your listeners. Live every day with passion and live so that years from now you're not living with regret. Love your loved ones every single day. And I'm out. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.